Welcome to Powerful Journeys Outdoors in Nature, where we come together as a tribe and sit around the fire and share stories, powerful stories that happened for us and to us. And the, the integration we take from those journeys, the excitement we felt, the fear we felt and the wisdom that we come away with that we want to share with our other tribe members and to be seen in that story and to be heard and to feel connected because, you know, we're all in this together. So enjoy the story from one of the people who have powerfully journeyed outdoors in nature. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today I have uh, a lovely guy called Gresh who will be sitting here going eye to eye, heart to heart, soul to soul, having a conversation and hearing about a fun journey that he has had. Hi Gresh. Good afternoon. (laughs) Good afternoon. Uh, So we'll get straight into it and I would love to know, if you can introduce your body, I'd love to know how old you are and what stage of life you feel like you're at. Mm. So I am in my... 29th lap around the sun. Woo! <laughs> um, and I am at a stage of life where I'm feeling more settled than I think I ever have. Mm. I've been pretty transient in my life up to this point. Mm. And I feel like I'm finally at a place where I'm happy just to, to sit down and chill for a little bit. Yeah. Did yeah. anything bring that on? Does it literally just feel like age? Or have you run out of gas for a little while? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I hope I haven't run out of gas. Uh, no. And it wasn't something I think I was looking for either. I Mm. think I just one day felt it and I felt good. And I felt good that I was putting down some, some more stable roots, I think around here and it just felt right. Yeah. And what even does that mean to you? Like you've slowed down and you're more stable now. Like what does that, what does that look like? What does that mean to you? Like you've opened a bank account or that you you don't have your money under the bed anymore or what does it mean to you? Um, well... I think in the past, I have always spent a lot of time thinking about what the next step's going to be and where the next step's going to be and what the next adventure will be. And it wasn't ever here. Like, it wasn't ever in the place that I was. It was Mm. always going to be somewhere else, somewhere Mm. different. I was always going to be chasing something Mm -hmm. different or another experience or another, you know, lifestyle. Mm. And the past sort of six to nine months, I've really felt like, the next step for me is is whatever is here and whatever mm. I make of, you know, being in this space and this yeah. like this place where I am right now. And I feel good about that. Yeah. Were you like that as a kid? Were you always like the kid who was like, I'm going to go adventure over here, I'm going to go here, like always had that drive to get on out there in like a legitimately being somewhere different from where you are? Uh, yeah, I'd say I was a pretty hyperactive kid okay. in a lot of ways. Uh, and... I was always doing something different to channel that energy. Yeah. Um, maybe not always in a productive way. Yeah, but... I was like, if you went through the schooling now, do you think you'd be on the spectrum of, of ADHD? Would they... yeah, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think when I sort of got into my late teenage years and I started working and started working in a job, um, I was I felt like I was a bit of a slow starter. In yeah. Like I had all these great ideas about what I wanted to do and all these like great places I wanted to see 
Um, but I just kind of stalled at the at the gates, I think, and yeah. actually getting out and doing it. Okay. Uh, and it took me, you know, a few years to sort of maybe get the like the self confidence and this, the drive to actually get out there and do it. Sure. And then once I got going, um, like I was just amazed at you know how many possibilities open up mm. to you when you do that. So what made you stall at the gates? Um, I don't know. To be honest, I, I have sort of spent a lot of time like reflecting on it and thinking about it since um and you know it probably just comes down to as a teenager i maybe didn't have a lot of you know self-confidence and and Mm self-worth and when i thought about the future i had lots of great ideas about what i wanted to do but i just probably didn't have the tools or Mm -hmm. the the sort of um the clear path ahead of me on how to do it Mm. and you know like from that i made a lot of choices and made did a lot of things and you know learned a lot of lessons that you know some of them are hard lessons some mm. of them are good lessons but it was all good lessons and, and hard lessons that i needed to learn mm-hmm. so that i think i could you know step out of that and and keep moving and then you know move on to the things that i had sort of always envisioned for myself mm. i love that it's like appreciating the whole steps along the journey and just being like i yeah. didn't need to start it earlier i just didn't have the tools i needed yet so i went and gathered more tools and yeah, then that was totally. like the tipping point and yeah and then I would also love to know if you could introduce your soul to us. So what makes your soul come alive? What makes you feel, ah? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really love connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And I really love uh, just talking with people and learning about them and learning about their stories and learning about them as people and, and what makes them tick as well. And, and being able to, to share with people as well. So do you want to reverse on the podcast? Yeah, you okay. Want to, yeah. Right, you're on <laughs> no. next time, are yeah, you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, perfect. Cool. Um, no, but I think uh, it's a big part of, I think, why I enjoy the work that I do now mm. um, is because I get, to, I get to help people who are maybe, you know, a little further back on the path that I was once on maybe mm. and being able to, to share you know, maybe some insights that I'd gained along the way with other people and help them along. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I really dig on that. Like, I really mm. get a lot out of being able to do that for other people. Um, Is there a specific context for that? So you say, like, with the work you do now, being, like, outdoor education with, like, yep. kids, do, is there any anything else, like, any other way that you take that kind of formula and you're able to help people? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I feel like I've got to a place in my life where... Um, I don't need like a specific outlet of, of, of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sure, working um, in outdoor education is a great medium to be able to do that because you're sort of exposed to so many different people from such a wide cross-section of the community um, that, you know, of the people you, you work with and the people who come to you, like of someone hopefully is going to take something from what mm-hmm. you've got. But... Just in, in my life in general, I think that I've really um, started to like step into that sort of role and that mm. space uh, with you know my, my friends and, and people I meet. Um, and I really, yeah, I really enjoy that. I really mm. enjoy you know being able to share things with people that mm. you know like might help them in some way. So that contribute like contribution and giving back and yeah, is it almost from like kind of going to like a boy to a man? Like, yeah, is I, it? I guess yeah. you could say that. Like, um, like I still, I don't 
feel like I'm um, a man, yeah. like in the traditional sort of sense yeah. of it. Or, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, in their 20s probably wouldn't say they're an adult. Yeah. And I certainly don't think that either. I feel like I've got a bit of knowledge and, yeah. you know, I've, I've learned some things along the way. Yeah. But I feel like that process is is ongoing like it's just a continual process that'll just keep expanding and keep mm. going and going totally. um yeah well it's not necessarily from you know childhood to adulthood but it's just life like, yeah, i think yeah. this is life unfolding yeah. yeah totally um i really liked how you were saying how that you just get so much out of connecting with people mm-hmm. and i was wondering this is a bit of a random question um mm-hmm. have you ever heard of the five languages of love Ooh. What, your, what your love language is this Sounds like something that uh, you know I've I've heard of, but I've okay. never looked into it. Oh, because I was just wondering what maybe you the way you like to give love. So it's like touch, quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, and I'm gonna kick myself because I can't remember the last <laughs> one. Yeah, do you find is it like quality time and stuff that you like? How, because it's like a form of love, right? When you're yeah. like connecting with someone, it's like you're giving them your love. It's of course, yeah. yeah. Would you say like with your work, so it might be like quality time, or is it like words of affirmation? Like, do you really love to like verbally encourage people? I don't know. Like, how do you love to connect with people? Yeah, and that that's such a great way to think about it. Um, and like as you're you sort of mention them just then like i feel like there's little parts of each yeah totally I, like <laughs> yeah. situation dependent mm. person dependent like emotion mm. dependent on you know just how i like to express that with people so you feel confident in all of them and i guess that you think that do you feel that your work is supportive of being able to connect with people in all those ways yeah totally That's yeah so lovely. yeah i absolutely um i love the part of my job where you get to meet people who you have no background knowledge on them. You have no, you know, preconceived notions or ideas about them. You have no sort of, um, uh, I guess there's there's no prejudice there. No. You just, just you get to read their medicals. Yeah, That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like I know a little bit of dirt about you. Yeah, but like, yeah. yeah. I can keep you safe, so yeah. I'm always look out for. Yeah. But other than that, like you, you don't know mm. anything about them. It's like you're meeting someone for the first time you know, week in, week out. Mm. And you have this such a like such a short period of time where you get to know them on, you know, quite a like a profound level mm. in such a short period of time. And then help them, you know, maybe it's not you're not gonna change the world for them. You're not gonna change everything about them or help <laughs> them with everything. But if you can, you know, sort through that first sort of meeting with someone, find that one thing that, you mm. know, you might be able to give to them to help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a pretty powerful thing to be able to do in like, mm. you know, three, five, ten days totally. with someone. Yeah. And yeah, I feel really like grateful that I have been given the tools and the skills to be able to mm. empower other people to, to find that in yeah. themselves. Yeah, I've been having a lot of fun in that space lately of like, you know, if you don't know anyone and you are put into that situation where it's like, we're going to spend the next like five days together with mm-hmm. each other. And instead of going into those general questions like, hi, who are you and what do you do and what's your hobby? Like, I've been putting it back on myself being like, what do I really want to know about this person? Yeah, like, I don't totally. want to fake liking them. Like, I don't yeah. want to fake being interested in getting to know them. And so I've been, yeah, I've kind of been like, what is it I really want to know? Like, do you play an instrument or like, do, have you ever been to Swaziland? Like, I don't know, like at least <laughs> it's something that like, I don't know. Do you have any favorite things that you love learning about people? Yeah, I, I always love to ask people 
not what they do or where they're from, but what they're passionate about. Mm. Because that is like, without a doubt, 100% of the time, they just like light up. Yeah, the the best way to you know get someone to really just come into their own. Mm. Um, and when people you know talk about what they're passionate about and what they absolutely love doing, like mm-hmm. you can just see like their soul is on fire mm. when they're like putting themselves out there with that. Um, and so I always love asking that yeah. question like pretty early on. Uh, and another one um, that because. For me, food and cooking has always been something I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about. And a lot of my life has revolved around that. Yeah. Um, I love to ask people, not what their favorite food is, but what was the favorite meal that your parents or your loved one cooked for you when you were a kid? Yeah, cool. Because you don't just get uh, like a meal or a, an ingredient that's been cooked. You get the story and the yeah. emotion and the nostalgia that yeah. comes with that. Yeah. And you get so much more out of someone um, if you can bring forth like a story like that from yeah, someone, then just, totally. oh yeah, I like pizza. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, which is probably like 90% of kids answer yeah. that. Yeah, I love that question because it's almost, because you're getting a full bodied answer out of them, yeah, right? Totally. It's not just like something from their mouth or something from their mind. It's like everything in their body. Yeah. And then I love your first question. It's like, what are you passionate about? Because I love that question in the way, because like, even if I don't like what you're passionate about, I am enthralled because you're enthralled. Yeah. So if you like, yeah. I don't know love ants or something that maybe wouldn't yeah. have like registered on my radar and then you go into depth about them and I'm just like holy moly yeah. these ants are yeah. amazing yeah exactly yeah I did that with bees we got I got to meet the guy who had done the flow hypes oh what a cool story yeah and he had spent 10 years working on those and the dynamics of the bees and the oh man it was just like I could have hung out there for days but yeah, yeah that it's like it was, infectious right it came alive and he was talking yeah. about it, I'm sure the bees yeah they are pretty amazing anyways with yep. the, yeah. Yeah. so my big question yeah. for you is what is one of the most powerful journeys you have had outdoors in nature <laughs> do I have to say it like that <laughs> yes the whole time okay <laughs> drum roll <laughs> um so I I spent a bit of time thinking about this um because I feel like I've been lucky enough to go on, you know, so many amazing journeys in my life mm-hmm. in, you know, not just in nature, but in lots of different contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that I really stand out, stands out to me because I think it was such a catalyst for um, a lot of change in my life and a lot of personal development yeah. was a few years back, I walked the Camino de Santiago from uh-huh. Spain. Um and I'm not sure if you're familiar with I am. Camino. Yeah. Do you have the shell tattoo? I don't have the okay. shell tattoo. No. But briefly describe it to us. Not necessarily the tattoo, but the... Oh, the tattoo. Oh, okay. No, uh, no right. the, what it is, the walk. Well, it goes on your... Yeah, uh, yeah. You pick your favorite yeah. spot. Uh, no, so the Camino de Santiago uh, is... Initially, it was a, a Christian pilgrimage through Europe mm-hmm. where uh, pilgrims would walk from essentially anywhere in Europe mm. to uh, a city in northwestern Spain mm-hmm. in Santiago and it was the pilgrimage of St. James um, and so in the so I think it was 1100s it was quite a popular walk and there was mm. you know, thousands of people walking it from mm. all over Europe um, not with backpacks though probably <laughs> Can't not imagine. with backpacks <laughs> yeah. no I don't think backpack was around no not then. with an MSR tent or no, anything no no um, more just like a stick a probably stick. and that would have been it <laughs> um, and then sort of throughout the the centuries um, it sort of went through varying levels of popularity mm-hmm. and notoriety and then in you know probably the last sort of 
two, three hundred years. It's kind of became a bit obscure and fell off the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the 60s, I think it was, um, it started to really gain a lot more traction again mm. and a lot more people sort of became interested in it. And then really in the last sort of couple of decades, um, it's become quite uh, a sought after experience. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm not... I'm not the sort of person who's like a diehard through hiker yeah. and I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't put it in the same category as like the Appalachian Trail or the PCT or something mm. like that, but it's, it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not the, like a lot of people say it's kind of a, a softer sort of walk, okay. but, um, I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's just different. Yeah. 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 Um, so essentially that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and like I said, lots of different places you can start. Um, I started in, which is one of the more popular places to start, um, just over the border in France, at a place called Saint Jean Pas de Port. Uh, Can you say that with a French accent, please? Saint Jean Pas de Port. I, yes. I think I murdered that, but, but that's I think all right. you nailed it. All right. Why did you choose to start there? A um, couple of reasons. Um, one. It's in the Pyrenees in mm-hmm. France, and the Pyrenees are a beautiful mountain pretty. range. Yep. Yep. Uh, two, it's not far from a place called uh, the Basque Country in Spain, which uh, is just renowned for its food and wine mm. and just beautiful country. Yeah. And I'm all about that. And the third reason was it's quite close to a place called Biritz, where there's really good surfing, and I hung, okay. out, I hung out there before. So it's like an ultimate so, combo. You've got the land, you've yeah. got the food, you've got the surfing. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Um, the southwest corner of France, in my opinion, is you know some of the most beautiful country mm. in in the world. And yeah, yeah I like it's a place I'd go back to in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I chose to start there, and it's also you know a relatively popular place to start from. Okay. Uh, if you start in in that town, um, it's about eight. 100 kilometers from there to Santiago. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's sort of the, the, they call it the French way because you start in France <laughs> sure. and you make the way in. Yeah. You but, leave with a baguette in the backpack and you're going the oh, French yeah, way. Oh, like yeah. Like that's every day. I had a baguette <laughs> yeah. and I a bottle of my, wine. A bottle of wine. Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's the prerequisite for starting there. <laughs> Did you do training before it? Mm, what? With a baguette? I think both. Did you train walking and baguetting? Oh, um, so, I was the sort of person who had always been into the outdoors. Mm. Um, I grew up like in the bush, um, up in like a little tiny little community called Upper Lansdowne, which is, you know, half an hour from the coast on the mid north coast of New South Wales, okay. up in the mountains. Um, it was a like originally a logging village, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. Yeah, and then it's now sort of just like. Um, like a rural community up in the bush and in the mountains. Okay. Uh, so I feel like growing up, I was always um, like immersed in nature, immersed in the bush. So as I got a bit older and I became a teenager and in my sort of early 20s, uh, I was always just drawn to being outside and doing mm. like outdoor activities and yep. like sports, um, you know, like paddling, surfing, mountain biking, uh, rock climbing, all those sorts of things. Okay. Um, and like... I really enjoyed bushwalking as well because yeah. as a kid, like that's how we spent most of our spare time, just yeah. like wandering around in the bush. Um, but in terms of like training, I, I certainly didn't do any like formal training. I just So you weren't walked. going for the physical challenge of it? So the 800Ks, you weren't like, I really want to challenge myself physically? Was that, what was the driving factor? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> Upon reflection, I my, still have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> my earliest memory of being aware of the Camino de Santiago was as a young chef, um, mm. when I was maybe like 19, 20, I, I saw this cookbook because as a young chef, I was like just fanatical about you know buying cookbooks and learning mm-hmm. as much as I could. And I found this cookbook and it was called The Food of the Camino. Yeah. And I remember flipping through this cookbook and, and seeing these amazing photos of like the landscape and the mountains and, and like the tiny villages and the food and something about it. Like, I, I don't know yeah. if you ever had this in your life, but something has popped up on your radar and then for you know, some unknown reason, you're just drawn to mm-hmm. that. And you're just drawn to whatever it is. And you can't explain why. You don't mm-hmm. know what it is. There's no context for it. But you're just drawn to it. And mm-hmm. there's something about it. And it was kind of like that when I first mm. heard and I saw this book. And I heard, like, I read about the Camino. And so after that, I did a bit of research into what it was and, like, the meaning behind it yeah. um, and what it meant. And, yes, it's a, it's a Christian pilgrimage. I mean, I was never, you know, brought up religious yeah. uh, by any means. And so that side of it, I guess, didn't really, like, that didn't speak to me. That wasn't why I was drawn to it. Mm. Um, Yeah, sure, the food was amazing, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that was the only reason. Uh, It was just something that, you know, just stuck in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. It had just been there for a long time. And over the years, it sort of kept popping up every now and then. (laughs) Just when I'd sort of forget about it and it would, you know, fade to the back of my mind something would pop up and it'd be, you know, just bring it back to the front so of my mind So how many again. years before you first heard about it till you were stepping foot leaving? So I probably first heard about it when I was like 18, 19. Yeah. And then it was in 2016 that I walked it. So maybe like eight years later. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it just never went away. It was persistent enough that I thought, yep, I'm going to do it. Oh, that's so good. Did you do it by yourself? No, so I did it with my partner at the time. Okay. Yeah. How long had you been together before you started walking? I feel like my voice has already turned interrogating. <laughs> like, no. How long were you together before you started walking? Where were you on the evening yeah. of? Um, so we had been together for about three years at this point. Okay. Yeah, or just under three years. Um, I had been working as a chef for you know, like six, seven years at this point. Um, I'd done a lot of moving around. Uh, Once I'd done my apprenticeship, I left my sort of hometown and I was really keen to just learn as much as I could, experience as much as I could. So I I moved to the city. Uh, I worked in, you know, top-end restaurants. I worked in cafes. I worked in the mines. I worked in everything I could get my hands on. And then I ended up finding myself on the Gold Coast eventually. Yeah. Uh, like I think a lot of people do at some point yeah. in their 20s. Yeah, try it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, and then I met her there. We were okay. working in the same uh, same little cafe there. And then, yeah, we were together for, uh, yeah, like three years. And then we decided that we were going to go on uh, like a big trip overseas. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of our dream or our, our idea was to go and do some traveling, do some backpacking, um, yeah. and then we would eventually make our way into Europe, and then we would work on the super yachts okay. uh, in the Mediterranean, and then great. yeah, live that dream yeah. for a while. So this was the plan. Did this you was execute the plan. it? What happened? Um, so 
we we went and did all of our training to be able to work on the super yachts. Uh, and my partner at the time, she was a florist. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, you know, a chef and a florist. Sure. Uh, like great combination for working on a super yacht. Uh, and we did our training, cost quite, quite a bit of money to do it. It was pretty intensive, but a lot of fun. And then we spent about three months in India, a month in Nepal, sort of trekking and yeah. backpacking. And then about probably halfway through our time in India, we kind of had this moment where we were both thinking about heading into Europe and working in the super yachts. And the idea just, I don't know, just kind of didn't appeal to us anymore. Okay. We just didn't, we'd had such a, I guess, profound experience well i mean i'm just according to me anyway yeah, sure. working i mean to live uh, traveling in india and nepal that the idea of going and working on you know billionaires playboats just <laughs> didn't really seem your pendulum didn't want yeah, to swing that far just, anymore <laughs> just didn't seem like sure. the option that we wanted to take anymore yeah but we we still had a plane ticket booked into europe so we thought yeah let's go to europe let's make the most of our you know tourist visa there and, yeah. and see what we can do. And the idea had always been, for me anyway, to do the Camino while I was there. Um, it was always sort of... Um, Did she share this passion? Like, when you had you spoken about it, being like, yes, this yeah. is something we both want to do? Like, she was on board or she wanted to do it because you wanted to do it? Yeah, so this is something that I've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about after as well. Yeah. Um, and at the time... Uh, like this was something that we talked about a lot and we sort of talked about the things that we wanted to do and where we wanted to see. Um, but, you know, in hindsight and reality, looking back at it, this was certainly my trip. Like it was certainly a trip that I had become very invested in and mm. thought a lot about and put a lot of my energy into. Mm -hmm. And it was like, she, at the end of the day, she was probably just coming along mm. for the experience, mm. but it was, you know, Which it was is... my trip. Okay. Yeah. Which... Um, which thinking about now, like, um, it it probably wasn't apparent to me at the time, but that had sort of been a lot of the cracks in our relationship, mm. and I think that was sort of an indicator of a bigger problem of I wasn't really present in that relationship, mm. um, and ultimately, like that would come to a head later on. But mm. I think looking back on it now, like I, I see it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it was. That's pretty clear what was going on there and pretty clear yeah, about... it's so hard though because I don't feel like we're taught to like have such a strong sense of self and then how to relate to people. Mm. You know, like it's like where is this beautiful, you know, it's like Disney. We fall in love and then we do everything together, right? Like this is just what we do but it's like actually, yeah, I can't leave, love, like I can't miss you if you never leave. And sometimes, yes. you know, there's yeah. this and I love that you're doing something that you love and that you come back. I just, yeah, how we're taught to relate to people, it doesn't seem to work as... It doesn't seem to serve people as much as I think that we have the potential to. Sometimes yes, is my yes. polite way of saying no, it. No, I, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with you. So um, did you both start the Camino? Yes, so we did. So um, after we'd left uh, India, we went into France. We spent a bit of time there. Um, I had a friend that I had worked with in Sydney at a restaurant who lived on the coast in France. Cool. We hung out there for a couple of weeks surfing. It was really like, a great time. Uh, and then we caught the train across the Pyrenees to Saint-Jean-Pas-de-Port, mm -hmm. and that's where we started. Yeah. And so we left from from there, um, and it took us, in the end, just over a month. I think it was like, you know, 32, 33 days. 
okay. in total. Um, How many Ks were you doing a day? So we probably started out doing maybe 10 to 15. Yeah. Um, and then as we sort of got into the rhythm of it, yeah. um, probably average might have been like 25, 30 Ks a day yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then it's sort of like there's a couple of days we took off in there, maybe two or three. So essentially, it was just like you walk every day, you wake mm. up in the morning, um, you're probably on the road by like 7, 7.30, you walk mm. for six, seven hours, mm-hmm. um, have a siesta in the afternoon. <laughs> did you camp or did you stay like at the hostel places every night or the, what do they call them? Uh, albergies. The albergies. Like, yes. Did you albergi? Uh, so we, we camped about half of the time. Okay. So I had, you know, had a bit of experience and a bit of sort of time in my life like doing a lot of camping and hiking um and when we got over there we were sort of had the idea of oh well let's see if we can do this you know as cheap as we can yeah so you know we extend our time here in europe as much as we can and we wanted to try and keep it to about 10 to 15 euro a day between us mm-hmm. um and staying in the albergues isn't that expensive it's like you know five to ten euro a yeah. bed for a night but we thought if we can camp as much as possible then obviously we'll keep that cost down sure so we went to uh over there they're called decathlons they're kind of like a, a kmart or a big w okay yeah uh and we bought this like really cheap like two person <laughs> dome tent yeah um we had one sleeping bag between us okay. um we slept on like these fabric yoga mats we'd bought in india okay it was pretty like i look back on it now that like I've got had a lot of training in like outdoors, and I think, well, yeah, yeah okay, that's that was probably could have made it much easier yeah, on ourselves. Yeah, a little bit differently, yeah, right? Like yeah. I did my time again. But a hindsight, right? Yeah. Uh, and then because of that, we sort of were able to do a like, camp about half of the time, uh, just wild camping, like on the side of the trail in farmers' paddocks in like tiny little like forested areas, yeah. wherever we could find somewhere suitable. Yeah. And then whenever we sort of felt like um, we wanted to... Treat yourself. Yeah, treat ourselves to yeah. a, a hostel. Yeah. Uh, we just, yeah, stand in our boogie. Okay. It was, yeah, it was great. So you've gone, so it's taken about a month. So you'd been thinking about this trip for about eight years. Yep. It had been there. You've done the trip. It's about a month. You're mm-hmm. walking every day. You're kind of there. When you get to the end, yep. what was that like? So... On the trail and on the on the Camino as you're walking, it's kind of like you fall into like this rhythmic mm. walking and it's like walking meditation. Mm-hmm. And even though for the most part um, we were walking together, um, there's a lot of time for you just to you know, be inside your own head and, mm-hmm. and have your own time to think and just mull over lots of thoughts. And there were lots of thoughts of... Um, what the next step was going to be like what's it gonna what are we going to do after this and oh so you'd spent all this time just getting here and then you found yourself there and then your brain kind of went to what's next yeah in a way um like don't get me wrong like it was i was still very very engaged in what was happening Mm. but at the same time like in my head there was a lot of thoughts about you know um Oh, when I get back to Australia, I'm going to do this, or okay. what I'm I'm going to do this, or like what what are we going to do after this, or that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, which again is probably you know a bit of a, an indicator now of of not being entirely present sure. in that time. Um, but we 
we'd found that we had fallen into this rhythm of walking where there was a few other people around us who were walking about the same sort mm -hmm. of rhythm. And then we found ourselves staying in the same places each night yeah. and sharing meals together as well. And about halfway through, we found that we were just surrounded by this like really awesome group of people. Wow. Like who just like, there was Italians and Spanish people and Germans yeah. and just like this really eclectic group of people <laughs> who probably would never meet in any other, you know, context of, sure. of life, but we've just been drawn together um, to do this walk across Spain for no other reason other than it's there. Yeah. Um, and I, I just distinctly remember after the Camino thinking about this as well, that if, if any one of those people, um, you know, if I called them up now and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Italy, in yeah. your city, like next week, yeah. do you mind if I stay? Like, I have no doubt that any of them would just be like, yep, yeah, sure, come over. Yeah. Because we had this, uh, you just formed this amazing bond. And I'm sure, you know, lots of probably through hikers as well get this bond with the people they hike with as yeah. well. I mean, there's an individual aspect to it, but also the people that you meet on the trail and the people that you, you know, surround yourself with and, and share that experience with mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, you just have this incredible bond with them. Mm -hmm. And there was this one, this one guy, Daniel, and he was this like seven foot tall German train driver. <laughs> and he, he didn't speak a word of English at the oh. start of the Camino. Yeah. He just like jumped on a plane, flew and then started walking. And then he, he just attracted people. Like, yeah. He was one of those people that just people were like drawn to him. It was like a magnet. And he just gave off like such an incredibly positive energy. And yeah. he he couldn't really, you know, converse with lots of people because he yeah. only spoke German. Mm. But like he didn't need to. Like he could connect with people in a way I've never seen people do. Wow. Without even, you know, without even speaking their language. He yeah, it was incredible. What do you think he did? I just think it was his nature. I think okay. he just he gave off such a like a I don't know, a pure energy okay. about him that people just love to be around him. And he was so honest and genuine. And it wasn't until later in in like the, the Camino that I sort of learned a bit more about him and his history and that he'd had a bit of a, like a pretty rough life. Okay. Um, but it was incredible to think that he, he still had this incredible positive energy about him despite mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And it, it really, you know, just really stuck with me about, you know, his like unconditional positive regard for, for life wow, and for yeah. people and, the, and like belief in the, like the, the people inherently are good yeah. um, and just how that rubbed off on everyone around him. Okay. And yeah, it was just, just uh, like there's so many people who had just unique stories like that, yeah. but also different as well. Um, and so... We, we'd formed this, you know, really eclectic crew of people and we, we finished the rest of the, of the Camino and we got to the end and we saw a few of us, you know, went our separate ways and then um, when you finish the, the, the formal part of the Camino mm -hmm. in Santiago, in uh, Santiago, uh, you can choose to walk the last 100 k's or so to the coast, to the Atlantic mm. coast, to a place called Finisterra, which was, uh, was like the medieval end of the world. Like it, was, okay. it was the end of the known you know, sure. world of Europe, and it's sort of like beyond that is the Atlantic Ocean. That's yeah. it. And so there was a few of us who chose to walk. Well, I didn't walk. I hired a mountain bike and rode. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. But um, there was a few of us that chose to walk the rest of the way. Uh, and my partner, she caught a bus out there, yeah. like to the end, um, because she unfortunately had a like horrible blister that turned into oh. like a staph infection yeah. towards the end of it. Um, so she like rightly so just needed some time to like to you know. Her like, body was stressed. Yeah, like exactly. her body was worn out. Yeah. Her body was telling her just to slow down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we met out at the end, um, like on the edge of this coast, and there was a an. Uh, like an older Italian gentleman who had like walked with us as well. And uh, he didn't speak a word of English. He mm. only spoke Italian. And there was two young Italian guys who walked with us. And hey, they could speak like, English pretty well. And they translated for us. Mm-hmm. But the old Italian guy and the, the tall German guy, like they, neither of them spoke a word of the other's language. But mm-hmm. they could communicate like two people who have known each other their entire lives. They were like old friends who had known each other for 50 years. Yeah. But they couldn't... Yeah, they just couldn't... They couldn't speak a word of each other's language. <laughs> yeah. But they just had this connection. And yeah. that was, like, testament to to both of them, I think. Um, and when we got to the end, there's a lighthouse right out on the very, like, gnarly tip of the coast. Uh, and that's, like, the official end of, the, of that walk. And uh, it turned out that the old Italian gentleman, he had lost a son, like... Um, a few years prior to this and he and his wife were walking out in memorial to his son and we had this like just amazing you know somber memorial out there at the lighthouse and it was it was just such a (sighs) a, a, yeah it was such a powerful like I mean we'd finished this journey together and that was already in like just a, a profound experience but then just to to be surrounded by people like that who who had another layer on top mm. of that of, of their own sort of uh, reasons for doing the journey. Uh, and then for them to invite us to be a part of that as well. Mm. It was just, yeah, an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we spent a few days like at this, this town, Finisterra, which is kind of like a, like a shipping port, oh, yeah. well, not a shipping port, but a fishing port. Um, and I remember my partner and I, we had, you know, for the probably, you know, that journey uh, and like the, the Camino itself, we had probably both separately come to the same sort of internal realization that we were both, you know, different people moving in different directions. Sure. And um, we, I remember there's one, one distinct day, we were on the beach and we walked out to the headland and we're sitting on the rocks looking over um, over the beach and over the waves. And we just, you know, both said to each other, like, this is this is probably where we both, you know, mm. say goodbye and this is it for us. Oh. Like, thanks for the, for the like, obviously more words no, than this. Of course. But, um, yeah, wow. like, it's been an amazing journey, but yeah, we both sort of recognised that that was it for us. Wow. Yeah, and... Um, and... We, you know, we continued traveling together after that for Mm. another six weeks or so Mm -hmm. we headed back into france and we worked on this farm in the pyrenees in france for like a month in the summertime and it was amazing (laughs) um and i still look pretty fondly on that and then after that yep came back to australia and then we we went our separate ways but um the reason i i said at the start that this was sort of a uh i feel like this journey in, in, in nature was a catalyst 
was on the Camino. I had met this guy from the States. His name was Carson. Um, and he was a raft guide in Colorado, in, mm-hmm. in, in America. And a couple of years before this, I'd been working with this Kiwi barista. And he'd, I'd just been you know chatting with him and talking about what his family did. And he said that his dad was a, a fly fishing guide and a backcountry guide in New Zealand. And I remember Ooh. thinking, like, and I'd been working as a chef, you know, for six or seven years at this point. I remember hearing that and thinking, I had no idea you could do that yeah, as a totally. job. Yeah, totally. I had no idea people could be paid to take other people out into nature and yep. into the bush and, and share that with them. Mm-hmm. And it just stuck in my mind. And I thought, that's such a great idea. And then when I met Carson on the Camino, I, I had, like, so many questions for him about, like, what's it like and what do you mm. do and how do you get into this and and like it's like being a little kid again yeah, asking all the questions totally. yeah, i like, was just like this, this this guy is living that idea like that ultimate yeah. life that i was thinking about and i just remember talking with him for hours and hours on the trail just as we walked along um about like what he did and what it was like and the people he'd met and the trips he'd done um and i'd always felt like um Nature and the bush and being outside was was a huge part of my upbringing mm. and it was pretty fundamental to to shaping me as a per- person. Yeah. But I'd always felt on the outside of like outdoor people. Okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah, people sure. who were into like outdoor sports yeah. and like who had hike, walking poles, hiking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. People with hiking boots and walking poles. <laughs> yeah. I always felt like an outsider, and mm-hmm. I never, I never knew how you got into that, like mm. how you got into that circle of people mm-hmm. who were like doing things outside yeah. and like doing like doing them confidently. Yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah. Being bosses in the outs, in the outdoors. And I, I, through my conversations with Carson, I was just like amazed that like he was this person. He was living that life. Mm. He was in nature. He was taking people out. He was helping other people to connect with nature. Like I had, um, and sharing that with them and he was on the inside and I was like, I, I want to do that mm. because I'd gotten to a point in chefing where I was really uninspired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved food and I love cooking and I still do. Like, I, I, like that was my first love, my first passion. I don't <laughs> think that will ever change, but the job itself, I'd gotten to a point where I wasn't sure what the next step was going to be sure. and I didn't know if I wanted to take the next step or what that would look like. And it was on this trip and after talking to Carson, I thought, when I get back to Australia, I am going to give this a go. Like I'm mm. really gonna, you know, make a concerted effort to, to get into working in the outside and, mm-hmm. and getting into guiding and, and being outdoors. Um, because I just, I couldn't picture myself coming back to Australia and working as a chef again. Mm. Like it just, I, nothing about it really, you know, spoke to me or inspired me. I love the way you seem to follow your intuition. Like even, you know, like the breadcrumb that was given to you while you're walking on the Camino, you yeah. picked it up and you munched on it and you were like, mm. you know, like it's a baguette and, crumb. Yeah. The baguette yeah. crumb. Yeah. And just trusting that. Cause I think that we get those all the time, right? Like yeah. a little breadcrumb that's like, Hey, and then you feel really good. And you're like, I don't know why I felt good about that. Don't worry about it. And yeah, go back to what you were totally. doing, but you yeah. really seem to follow it. I think we're very good at, um, at, you know, quietening that or squashing that sometimes. Because it doesn't make sense. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, and I'd certainly, I felt like I'd done that quite a lot in my life. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, something just about it, I thought, no, like I'm going to like um, put myself behind this 100%. Yeah. And um, when I came back to Australia um, after, after this trip, after we'd finished up in Europe, I was like broke, I was homeless, I was jobless, I had no inspiration left in me, I had like no drive to want to be a chef, I had spent, you know, like 10 years nearly of my life working at a career that I I was stepping away from mm. and I, I had like, it was a scary place to be, mm-hmm. like I felt like for the last like three or four years prior to that, I'd kind of just unconsciously slipped onto autopilot mm, in my totally. life and that obviously had shown through in you know in my relationship in in my job um like i still you know had integrity in my job mm. and did this best i could but i wasn't really progressing anymore i wasn't growing anymore mm. as a person um and so when i got back to australia and i was in this position i i thought well, I've got two options. I can, you know, slip back onto autopilot and, and you mm-hmm. know, like work as a chef or do something that I'm not particularly interested in right now. Or I can, you know, give this a go and see what's out there. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those times in your life where, you know, the, you make a decision and the universe just aligns. Mm. And um, I think it was maybe two weeks after I got back in Australia, I found myself at a like selection interview weekend to start the job that I have been working in the last three and a half years Damn. in the outdoors. Yeah, just like that. And um, while I was really drawn to the idea of um, like guiding and being outside and mm. sharing that with people, when I came to work for the company I do now, um, I didn't quite realize how passionate I was about teaching people as well Mm. and because as a chef that was something I'd always enjoyed was having apprentices and having kitchen hands and and having them you know under your wing and teaching them a craft and then having them go off and and have their own lives and their own careers with that Um, and I really love that idea about being able to teach them that skill and so when I came to to work in outdoor education I had suddenly found myself in a job where not only do I get to take people out in nature and help them to connect with that same, you know, amazing power that it had with me. Yeah. But I also get to to help them and teach them and and to empower them to make like, real meaningful change in their lives themselves mm-hmm. by giving them, you know, some skills or some tools. Yeah. Um, or just helping them a little bit along the path that I may have been on, yeah. you know, prior in my life. I would love to know what advice you would have for the people who now, like you were saying, you've been doing chefing for about 10 years. I imagine you were boss at it. You could do it probably with your eyes closed, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could do it, but it didn't have that same feeling. And then to have been given this breadcrumb and then to have gotten that feeling that's like, it excites me. Like there's something alive in me. Like, and when you've got nothing and, you know, and the the most sensible decision would have been just go be a chef for a while, make Mm -hmm. a bit of money, do that. Like, what advice would you give to other people who also feel like they have nothing and it's easier to default into that, like, well, I should do this because it's, you know, that'll make me money. Yeah. But to, like, trust and to go over that little bit of an edge that's like, no, remember that feeling, like, and follow that path instead. Yeah, totally. And I think, like, that's something that 
so many of us, you know, battle with. Like that idea of, do I stay here because this is the path that is safe and comfortable that mm. I know that is the, the, the path that is accepted and that's what everyone else is doing. So obviously I should be doing that. How did you convince but, yourself of the other way? Like how, how did you yeah, do it? Like how did you make that step the other yes, direction? Because like, it's really hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. <laughs> um, like I, I think about it now and I, I'm like, I'm not shy to say that I am so proud of myself mm-hmm. for just backing myself mm. to step away from that and to step into something else completely different that mm-hmm. I knew I was passionate about. And it, it really came down to just trusting in myself mm. and trusting that, hey, I don't know all the answers right now. Mm. I, I don't know what this is going to look like. It's scary as hell, but if you don't do it now, like, are you going to lose more than mm. if you, you do do it? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer to that was like, I was hundred percent like I couldn't not do it at that point. If I if <laughs> yeah. I wanted to keep progressing and if I wanted to keep growing, then I had to step into that. Um, I've always been someone who is like ferocious at learning. Like I love just learning new things, um, and it can be about anything, and that probably feeds into you know why I enjoy talking to people so much. And for me to get to that point where I had you know sort of self recognized I was on autopilot was I'm not learning anything. Mm. I'm not growing. I'm not progressing. I'm just at this plateau. Do you think that anybody genuinely doesn't enjoy learning? Or do you think it's just like an excuse when it's too scary? Well, no, I think as as human beings, like we, we thrive on learning. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah okay. And I, I think it's just very easy for, you know, us to convince ourselves mm. that it's too hard or it's too scary or there's too many barriers. It's that little story that we tell ourselves inside our head um, mm. that unfortunately is very believable. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It finds a lot of evidence sometimes. Yeah, like, exactly. It's not quite a case. We're very good at, you know, yeah. bringing out reasons why we shouldn't do something. Mm. Um, but like taking that step and, and believing in, in yourself, um, like it's such a, a liberating feeling. Mm. And I look back on it now and I... I can honestly say that at that point was was such a pivotal moment for me mm. um, in the journey that followed from that. Um, I feel like in the last you know three years working in in sort of outdoor education and working in like the personal development space, um, I have learnt more about myself than I have in you know the previous fifteen years. Mm. Um, what role do you think nature played in that? Oh, huge. Okay, why? Like how? Well, when I was a kid, and I I mentioned this before, I spent such a long time just being in nature, like Mm. just having, you know, free time, making my own fun, making my own, you know, reality in nature. And that was such a, a, like a fundamental key to my growing up Mm. that I don't think I realized at the time. Mm. Uh, It's like, you know, classic you know, when you're young, you don't appreciate. Like, sure, what you don't got. know what you got till it's gone, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and when I had moved away from that, and I, you know, had lived in in cities, and I lived in high rises and suburbia and all that sort of thing, um, there was always this sort of feeling of something was missing or like something's not quite right, something's not quite gelling there. And then when I came back to it after this journey, mm. and after I like I stepped into it and I came back to nature and I reconnected with it, I really like I saw it so clearly 
how nature has this power just to strip away all of the distractions mm. and strip away all of the things that you don't need and, mm-hmm. and really just give you some clarity about what it is uh, that you actually really need in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think when you strip away the distractions, uh, and it's, I'm not just talking about you know, like social media or you know, technology or anything like that, but just like the noise and the other people's voices or maybe mm. your own voices, um, and you're out there in, in nature, in the solitude of nature, whether it's with you know, sharing it with other people yeah. or if you're just on your own, um, it just has this ability to you know, just like turn up the, 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 the colors a little bit, you know, mm. like just fine tune everything a little bit more mm. and just to quieten down all the background noise and all the stuff going on that's you know, pulling you away from what's really important. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's very easy to, to forget about that when you, you, know, you remove yourself from nature um, or if you get busy in your life mm. or you're, you know, you're focused on your work, you're focused on your, your kids or your relationship or your house or whatever it mm. might be. Um, but just going back into nature, um, it's amazing how many people, you know, you get out on programs and in our line of work that are just like, oh, it's like, I forgot how good it was being mm, out here. How good it feels and yeah. how simple it is. Yeah, and, and like, yeah. I don't want to go back to, you know, mm. my, my smartphone. I don't want to yeah. go back to that. Like, it's just instantly like you're just shedding this burden off and you just like, it's just you. And mm. you just like, you can just exhale a little yeah. bit. And then everything just becomes a little bit more clearer. Mm. And I love that you don't have to walk 800 kilometers to, you know, to feel that it's literally like you could yeah. spend a day outside exactly. and you still usually get the same kind of hit, which is... Yeah, incredible. Oh, you mean I, I didn't have to do the walk? I mean, uh, well, oh. <laughs> I mean, well, you did because you got totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I, I can't sing the praises of it enough. Mm. Like it's, yeah, it's just. I just love how you've like fully embodied that experience. It's like, you know, I had it when I was a kid, so I'd solidified what that feeling was Mm -hmm. and then I'd slipped away from it. And then, you know, but you had this call to go do this walk, to go do this pilgrimage. It was like, come on, Grush, come on, come and walk. And, you know, and then you, you had the guts to follow it and then you did it. And then, and then you just kept following the breadcrumbs and yeah, it's just, and then you've achieved that feeling and now you're already sharing it with other people. Like I, I just think you're a great testament to really practicing what you preach, I suppose. Yeah. Thank you very much. So kudos. Um, yeah. And that's why I, th- I feel like that, that, that journey, um, while I didn't probably think about it at the time was this amazing catalyst of being in nature and mm. having this journey that, you know, such a, an amazing series of events have occurred because of that, mm-hmm. and and me being able to to come back and reconnect with you know what I'd moved away from, um, and and that nature aspect in my life, how because of that I was able to have so much more clarity on myself. Like mm-hmm. I had this this opportunity then to really reflect on what had been going on in my life and you know what were the patterns of behavior that i was repeating and Mm. why was i in this cycle um where i was i was suffering and the people around me maybe were suffering because of my behaviors Mm. and where did that come from and then it wasn't until i you know I, i reconnected with with nature and being outside that I was able to work through that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and I was able to to really flesh out, you know, what did I learn from that mm. and what are the lessons that I can take away from it 
Um, and yes, yeah, some of them were hard truths to, to have to come to terms with. Sure. And some of them, you know, didn't sit well with me and they took a long time for me to really like comprehend and think, oh, well, you know what? Yeah, maybe I was not a very nice person then or maybe yeah. that wasn't a very good thing to do. Um, and to be, but to be able to have that um, insight now, I think is mm. so incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. And I really... Um, I really enjoy being able to, to take other people out in nature to help them maybe to, you know, find that for themselves in whatever way it mm. might be. doesn't necessarily have to be as profound, but, you know, I, I really believe in nature's ability to do that. That's so amazing. I love it. It's like I'm a little inspired to go do the Camino maybe one I, day. Yeah, do it. I feel like, yeah. There's some good movies out there actually about it. If you're interested, there's some pretty cool little films about it now. And like you said, it's a lot more popular and so yeah. it kind of feels like it's, you're not in the middle of nowhere just walking around by yourself kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, and there's so yeah. many people that do it. But thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah, I'm so mm, grateful I'm that you've welcome. shared it and I feel a little inspired. Um, and of course, if you want to, you know, have a journey of your own or you'd like some inspiration from my, your ideas, I mean, this has been a long podcast, so you can always go to journeyoutdoorsingandnature.com.au um, <laughs> for some inspiration. Um, but if not, hopefully we'll see you next time. Thanks guys. Bye.